Okay, today is a Yeritzite of a friend of mine who passed away last year. His name is David Avraham ben Herschel Tzvi. He was truly a great man. There are not, unfortunately not, not so many great people in the world, but he was truly a great man. And uh, he had to dedicate his life to make, to make world peace. I'm not, I'm not even kidding when I say this, that he tried to create a world of understanding and a world of love and a world of happiness. And, uh, you know, people talk about this, like if you're a contestant in a beauty pageant, then you say you want world peace. But uh, very few people actually do anything about it, and he dedicated his life to it. And unfortunately, he died way too young. And as I said, he was, uh, he was a good friend. And uh, the world is a not-as-happy place without him. So there is always a challenge when you get to Truman, Titzaveh, for that matter, Vayakel Pekude. So last week we got through Truman, and it wasn't so bad. I, I think for most of us it wasn't overly traumatic. Am I correct about that? Or, uh, and you know, there, there was like a kind of a secret to all of this, and that is that you move laterally. You move away from, uh, from Shemot and you move someplace else. And the place that we always tend to move to is back to Bereshit. So I'm just warning you. I'm going to do the, I'm going to do the same thing today, but I'm going to I'm going to move in different directions. I'm going to start, and maybe we'll make an observation. We'll read a little bit. We'll think a little bit, and try to process something. Towards the beginning over here, we have this whole discussion of the clothing of the Kohen, or the clothing of the Kohen Gadol. The word clothing is actually limited because it's more than just clothing. It's the whole Kohen Gadol attire, which is a little bit more than just technically clothing. There are other things that he's wearing as well. And, and the way that we refer to this is, if you look in uh, Pasuk Bet, Vasita Bigde Kodesh L'Aharon Achicha. L'Chavod Now, the word itself, or the term itself, Bigde Kodesh, is really interesting, and I don't think that we necessarily are paying attention enough to realize how contradictory that is, how, in a certain sense, amusing it is, and how challenging it is. So I'll, I'll start with a, with a very simple observation. Again, going back to clothing. There are times, and I think that most of this is not necessarily the truth. You can argue with me if you want. There are times that clothing reveals who a person is, right? That clothing presents who that person is. There's a great responsa written hundreds of years ago by the Maharik, who lived in Italy. The question that he was asked was one in the realm of chukat akum, following the, the practices of non-Jews. So the question came out that in the hospital, where a particular doctor works, in this hundreds of years ago, is it the doctors would all wear white coats, and that way, everyone knew who the doctor was. So therefore, is it permissible for a Jewish doctor to wear non-Jewish clothing? That became the, the background of the question, and the answer was yes. Why? Because it's not a chok. What's a chok? A chok is doing a practice that has no reason. This has a reason. There's, there's a logic to this. It makes sense. In the hospital, you want to know which one is the doctor, so therefore this is allowed. Because then the clothing reveals the identity of who the person is. Now, if you want, you can ask Orly later, or you can ask Natalie. She seems to be walking around with a book on Sneod, which her husband claims has nothing to do with Sneod. I don't know. 
But if you want to learn more about Sneut, you'll go and you'll uh, talk to them. And does Sneut really reveal who the person is, or does it hide who the person is? Does it reveal who the person is by hiding who the person is? I don't. I this. I, I know that's 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 what. See, that's what he says as well. That's what he says as well. But you hear what I said. Does clothing hide who a person is, reveal who it is, or does it reveal who he is by hiding who they are, which essentially is part of the issue? Or does clothing sometimes, again, maybe you heard me say this, but I don't want to say this much clearer. Does, does clothing indicate a lack of understanding, or does it indicate, again, covering up who a person is and misrepresenting who that person is. If I'll just go back to my other case, what if somebody wasn't a doctor and would dress as a doctor and walk through hospitals dressed as a doctor? So that would be part, again, it could be he never actually says the words, I'm a doctor, but it could be something which would be quite inappropriate. Correct? Correct. And it's inappropriate. It would lead to more inappropriate things, and I'm not going to spell it out, because otherwise I'll give some of you ideas. So we'll, we'll, we'll leave it at that. But the, the phrase, that turn of phrase, big day Kodesh, why does that bother me so much? I told you, it's almost comical. What, what is wrong with big day Kodesh? Why do I find this amusing, this turn of phrase, big day Kodesh? I'm not, I, we didn't answer yet. When we get to the clothing, that he's going to wear, Eloha Bigadim, Yasu, Choshen Me'il. The word Me'il bothers me as well. Afterwards, we get to, we have things like Levush doesn't bother me the same level, but there's something there about it as well. Could you tell me what the root of the word beget is? Which, which three letters are the root? What's the root of the first root? You just skipped. What's the root? What, what is the root? Bet gimeldalet. Bet gimeldalet is also the root of another word, or maybe the same word. What's that? Betrayal. So therefore, clothing at times can represent a betrayal. That, that, that's really interesting. Which means if somebody dresses up in a way which is, again, not revealing who they are, but, but is actually a bigidah, can we go back to the first clothing that somebody wore and why they wore it? And was that actually covering? In the end of Perak Bet and Bereshit, by the way, you all see what I did? I'm, right? I made believe I'm talking about the clothing of the Kohen, and now we're in Bereshit, right? Right, you see that? that it, that's what's going to happen. That's correct. That's how, that's how it goes. And they were both naked and they were not embarrassed. A lack of embarrassment. They weren't embarrassed. And now you know we talked a little about this last week when we got to the Kruvim. We're not going there now. In Perik Gimel, they sin. And I want to already pay attention to the sin because there's different types of sin and there's different types of of clarification. Now, clarification is the word that we're going to be using today, and I'd rather use the Hebrew for a moment, and that is biror, livarer. Right? One of the lamatet malachot is you can't do borer. But borer is something that we need to do a lot. Why? Because we need to clarify, and in order to clarify, then you have to first identify, and as you identify, then you clarify. Over here, the basic clarification, which is going to be needed to take place, is one which is the result of the sin which took place, and that is the sin of eating a tree, or from a tree, or from a fruit of a tree, of Eitzadat Tov Vira. Now, what happens when you ingest Tov Vira? You now have a world of confusion of Tov and Ra. 
So when you're confused between good and evil, you now need to separate. What is borer, the malacha and Shabbat? You can't separate tov and ra, which means that's exactly the point. You can't take the you can't take the ra out and then create something which is good because beforehand you didn't have something good. You had a combination, and therefore the malacha is creation of something. What are you creating? You're creating good. Now this thing about removing the bad in your lives and having something which is good—that's a really good thing to do six days of the week. Yes. Do I need to spell this out? That we have bad habits. We need to. Get, we need levarer. We need to analyze. We need to understand. We have bad friends. There are people. There are people that just take us in certain directions and cause us this confusion of good and evil, and we justify the evil and make believe that we're doing something which is good. There, there are friends that suck the life out of us, and there are friends who energize us. There are people who help us become the best that we can be, the best that we want to be, and there are people that take us in other directions. All of this is doing livarer, it's doing birur, it's, it's clarifying, understanding. And so much of life is about this. Sometimes it means to separate, and in order to get rid of the bad, now you've created good. And sometimes it's finding that thing which is bad, and then finding a way of creating a new mixture and identifying that bad as something which now has become good. I've made no sense yet, but I'm, I'm going to make a lot more sense. Okay, good. So I did make a lot of sense right now. But um, I, I want to go back and, and see something, and then we'll go a little bit further in our, in our story. Actually, let, let, let's just first look at Adam and Eve, that they eat from this tree of knowledge of good and evil, and their eyes open up, and now they know that they're naked. And they take fig leaves and they make kind of like, I would call it a loincloth more than anything else. I mean, this is primitive. This is not clothing. This is in order to prevent walking around naked. There's a very big difference of not being naked versus being dressed. This is somebody burst into the room right as you get out of the shower and you kind of throw a towel on you. It's not exactly the same thing as feeling comfortable that you're fully dressed. It's really trying to prevent, shall we admit it, more embarrassment, or is it actually feeling quite presentable and now and now you, you've presented exactly who you want to present. So it, it, we're going to try it again. At this point, all they do is they put on something really flimsy. Yes, you realize that, that um, fig leaves... I don't know if they're in style or if they're right this year, but it's um, it's not it's not solid. It's not it's not something you should put your faith in. And then they hide from God. And I'm going to leave all of that because we just now entered into another interesting world, which I don't want you at all to imagine in any way is divorced from what we're talking about in terms of the Kohen. Because ultimately, what does the Kohen deal with? The Kohen deals with sin. The Kohen, de- the Kohen deals with forgiveness. So over here, they are hiding from God because they've sinned, which is really interesting. So what is it? Is it that when you sin, God moves away from you, or that when you sin, you feel inadequate, and then you hide from God? So I'm saying there's something really interesting in the dynamic over here. And they say, we heard your voice, and we, and we, we ran away. We were afraid. At the very end of the story, Vayas Hashem Pasakaf Aleph, Vayas Hashem Elokim La'adam, which is also great because there's this combination of Hashem Elokim, Midar Adin, Midar Rachamin, Vayas Hashem Elokim La'adam Lishtok Tonot, or Vayal Bishem. He made for them 
clothing made out of leather. There's one midrash that said it was made out of snakeskin, which is poetic justice in terms of the, the story. He made them leather. Now, leather clothing is something which is strong and something which is solid and something which protects you from the elements. Very, very different from the flimsy fig leaf. And he makes them this, but there's also this other word that's used afterwards, vayal bishem. Vayal bishem is that he gave them a levush. He gave them clothing. Hulavashotam. Now, if you would have paid attention... Just like we noted already that the word beged is somehow connected to bigida, and by the way, Rabbi Akiva actually says that straight off in the in the Gemara. The word levush has been understood to mean lelobusha to take away embarrassment, which means levush is to cover up so that you won't be embarrassed. By the way, I'm not convinced that the chagurot that they put on was necessarily one where there was no embarrassment. I think there is still embarrassment to walk around in something so, so flimsy. But God, God took Adam and Eve, the sinners, the ones who were confused, the ones who were jaded, the ones who were hiding, and the ones who were distanced from God. And he actually does something which has an incredible amount of compassion. And he reaches out to them in this embarrassment, in this lack of clarity. And then he says, let me, you know what, let me... They hid because from God, let me put on you something so that you shouldn't be embarrassed. I mean, that, that really is a very tender gesture on God's part, and I, I don't want to pay attention to it. But, but again, what we, is, we're perhaps now beginning to notice that this connection between clothing and sin and clothing and clarity and clothing and hiding and clothing and presenting either yourself or presenting somebody else, depending on how you happen to dress that day, I think just becomes something which is much more interesting, and that's really what we need to be paying attention to. If we go back and we look at the clothing of the Kohen Gadol, Vasita Big Day Kodesh. Do you realize now how interesting that is? That clothing is not just something to take away your embarrassment. And clothing has this problem, this connection in terms of the bigida, of the betrayal. But there is such a thing as Big Day Kodesh. That's much more interesting. Why did I focus on the word Me'il? What's a Me'il? A Me'il is like a coat, an outer coat. What, what, what's interesting about the word Me'il? It's that, again, it's strangely similar to mi'ilah. What is mi'ilah? Ah, so that's why none of you said it. What does it mean, lim'ol? Yes, it's a type of a fraud. So therefore, somebody wearing wearing this kind of clothing, a mi'il, again, could be misrepresenting. So there's something, again, fundamentally interesting about clothing and the various words which are used to denote clothing. The one who really got into this and tried to explain this is in source number eight, the Rav Hirsch, because Rav Hirsch loves symbolism. And over here, he's going to do a lot of the, of the linguistics. About You just noticed I, I bolded a lot of these things. The, the lavush, the, the me'il he has here as well. Big day, and, and, and he actually, again, this is Bereshit, and he does move over to Big Day Kohuna. I know, this is not where you would have run to look when you're looking at the, at the clothing of the Kohen, but if you knew to look, then you'd realize that, uh, that it goes all the way back to the beginning. And, and tzitzit become interesting because of this, that you're turning clothing somehow into a mitzvah, which means any time that there's something which is being turned around over here, 
there's something which is really interesting. And, and you see, he goes on and on. So there really is a lot, and I'm not at all convinced that I want to go into more than I have to over here. But I, I want to, again, point out a couple of things and then be able, again, to clarify for ourselves and to make sure that some of this makes a little bit more sense. When you look at all of the clothing that's put on, by the, especially by the Kohen Gadol, I want to make a distinction between two things. And, and what's going to happen when I make this distinction is that we're going to be moving almost immediately to the Yom Kippur job. Because the truth is, the Kohen Gadol is mainly, I'm not going to say exclusively, but is mainly needed for Yom Kippur or Yom HaKippurim. It's never called Yom Kippur in the Torah. It's Yom HaKippurim. That's really the day that we need the, Yom, the, we need the Kohen Gadol, which means the truth is that the other days of the year, you don't need a Kohen Gadol. You have various Kohenim doing everything that needs to be done. There's no daily thing the Kohen Gadol needs to do. He's allowed to do all kinds of things, but he's needed on Yom HaKippurim. He's not needed on Pesach. He's not needed on Sukkot. He's not needed on those other days. Yom HaKippurim, he's the one that goes inside into the innermost. Now, if you liked what I said before, when he goes to the inner courtyard, he goes into the inner sanctum, he goes into the Kadosh Hashim, then he wears pure white clothing. It goes back, total purity, absolutely white, pure. But during the rest of the year, the clothing of the Kohen Gadol wears is actually full of all kinds of uh, colors and all kinds of textures and all kinds of things, which really much more sounds like this combination. It, it's I would even call it a rainbow, but we're not allowed to talk about rainbows anymore, right? They, they took the rainbows from us. So it's the... You know what it really is? I'll tell you what it really is. And, and linguistically, this is also much more interesting, and the Ramban points it out, and we'll look at the Ramban pointing it out. It's actually a coat of many colors. Because that's now, once I said that, see how easy I made that for you? Because you know that there was somebody else who had a coat of many, col- many colors. And now almost immediately you'll realize, oh, that's really interesting what Yaakov may have been trying to do when he gave Yosef that ketonet pasim. So here you have ketonet pasim. But, but again, when you look at all of the materials which are made and the dyes and, and so on, you're going to realize then that that's what the Kohen Gadol is wearing. He's wearing a coat that has many colors on it. If you need to, we can look at that Ramban. He's going on the very beginning when it says, Vasita Pasukbet, Vasita Big Day Kodesh. I told you already, the word, that turn of phrase, Big Day Kodesh, do you now all realize why that's really amusing or, or, or challenging? Big Day, Bigida, Betrayal, Kodesh, Holy Betrayals. Can you imagine if you put it into chat GPT or to Google Translate, they could do that for you and say, oh, what's Big Day Kodesh? It's Holy Betrayals. What exactly are Holy Betrayals? I don't think we want to think about that, Correct. Disturbing. No, very, very much so. But I'm saying, but but once you realize that, you say, hold it, big day Kodesh, that is such an interesting turn of phrase, because you also should realize there could have or there should have been other ways of expressing this rather than putting, you know, juxtaposing big day, root beged, root bigida, together with Kodesh. Because it's almost like, like, what are you talking about? How do you put this together? Vasita big day Kodesh la'aronachicha, lichavod ulatifaret. For kavod, kavod is also a real interesting word, right? Kavod, honor. Do you see the root there? It means heavy. It's a burden. Kavod should be something which really 
burdens people rather than, you know, people chasing afterwards. They don't realize that it really is a burden. Ula Tiferet. Tiferet really is beauty. Pe'er. And by the way, Tiferet is really the Midah of Yaakov. Ya- Yaakov's Midah. If you look at the, your, your favorite Kabbalistic charts, Chesed Gvura is Avram and Yitzchak, and then Yaakov is Tiferet. So ya- ya- Yaakov represents beauty. And the Gemara is going to say that Yaakov, therefore, had to have been incredibly beautiful. The Yaakov and Rachel were this perfect Shiduch, even in the terms of the exterior. So the Ramban... See, here's the opposite. The Ramban is here, but you need to remember this Ramban when you're learning Yosef. What does he say? L'chvodul teferet. So over here, the Kohen Gadol is supposed to be one, a person who has this beauty, this honor, this, and, and so on. So now for he needs beautiful clothing to reveal who he is. I'm going to say it again. Clothing could reveal who you are, and clothing can hide who you are. So what is the Ramban saying over here? The Kohen needs to wear this because it's going to reveal who he is. Kamosha Amar Katuv. Right. Notice again the word pe'er having to do with kohen beauty. Because these are royal clothing. And clothing like this is what royalty wore during the time of the Torah. By the way, this is absolutely true. What he's saying, hundred percent true. Uh, in terms of especially the royal blue and purple, there there were colors that there were laws that others were not allowed to wear them. The idea that every Jew would have tzitzit on, I know you say every Jewish male, but every Jew had tzitzit with, with royal blue on it, meant that every Jew was somebody of royalty. The, the tchelet the indicated royalty, because it, again, there's, there's a reason it's the royal blue. So therefore, they're not wearing blue. You, you, you're, you're going in a different place. There, there, there is an issue that Perhaps the tzitzit should be the same color as the beged, and that should all be the same. But that has nothing to do with the real Torah requirement of wearing X, again, depending, Rambam, Ravid, Rashi, Tosot, how, what the percentage is. But let's just say the percentage is 7 and 1. That means that, that everybody who's wearing these tzitzit, which is extra clothing, why are you wearing it? Because you're, you're putting on a little bit royal blue. But let, let, let's go back. He's saying this is what the kings wore. Kimosh matzinu biktonet v'asaluk tonet pasim as we see by Yosef's clothing. So now you realize what the Rabban just now did. He's talking conceptually, but he just now told us, Yaakov gave Yosef royal clothing, but, but he actually focused on one word. That word is ketonet. Ketonet is, used, is one of the phrases that was used over here regarding the clothing of the Kohen, and ketonet was something which, which Yosef was given as well, but he's saying it's more than that, meaning what the Kohen is wearing is royal clothing, or, or you now also realize, hopefully, it's just as easy to say the other way around. What was Yaakov's goal? Was Yaakov's goal right now to make Yosef the future king, the once and future king, and that doesn't work out, or was it to make Yosef the Kohen? Did he give him clothing? Again, he gave him royal clothing. Why? Because it was royalty or because of being the Kohen? And I hope now you realize that you could go in either one of those directions. But once again, what did we just now succeed in doing? And realize, hold it, there really is some kind of a comparison over here taking place. And now I need to rethink the Yosef story, but we need to rethink that anyway. And there's some other things now that we have to go back to and... Uh,
and to think. Um, but we're skipping something we have to come back to. But in source number five, Yisrael Ahamet Yosef Mikol Banav, Kiben Zukunimu, Vasalok Tonet Pasim. And he gave him the Ketonet Pasim. So again, what we did not necessarily focus on is that the Ketonet Pasim looks actually remarkably similar to the clothing which is being worn by the Kohen. So that's why I'm saying, is it both ways? Is it the Kohen who wears royal clothing or is that Yaakov already wanted to make Yosef into some kind of a Kohen? Remember, if, if I just have to sell this a little bit more, I don't know if I do, but if I just in case I have to, remember that back in the day, the one who would be the Kohen was the firstborn. So therefore, was, who is Yaakov's real firstborn? And I know that this is a little bit more complicated because you're going to say it's Ruvain. But Ruvain was not the firstborn he wanted. That woman was not the one he wanted to sleep with. There was something really disturbing about that relationship. I think some of us would actually call that rape. But it's not as politically correct to say that, yes, you don't know who you're sleeping with. That's, that, that, that should be a little bit problematic. And the firstborn that Yaakov wanted was from his wife Rachel, who's the only one he loved and the only one he wanted to marry. Maybe I overstated the love part, but it's the one that he wanted to marry, and that was the child that he wanted. So maybe what he's... And by the way, Reuven messes up completely, and maybe what he's saying, listen, I got another firstborn, and Yosef's my real firstborn, and Yosef is my real son, and Yosef is the one who I want to be the Kohen. And either way, the brothers don't love this. I'm just pointing out that there was always more than one way to try to understand this juxtaposition between... Again, if you prefer, if you want to go back to last week, our uh, intertextuality in the Ketonet and the Ketonet between the clothing of the Kohen and the clothing of Yosef, but you have to make that connection. Now the only question is which direction do you go? Is it therefore the Kohen has royal clothing or is it that Yaakov gave Yosef royal clothing because he wanted him to be the Kohen or because he wanted to be royalty? And by the way, there's no question that all the brothers understand it as royalty and that's why they, uh, they are, have such a difficult time. But if you remember another thing, go back. And, and now we're getting much more to uh, where we need to get to. And those who came in late have no idea what I'm talking about now, but it's okay. I'll try to help you. And that is, from the very beginning, we talked about Biror, Livarer. So it's interesting that the Kohen Gadol, most of the year, has this whole combination of colors, right? whole rainbow of colors that he wears. But when it comes to serving God, on Yom Kippur and going inside to the Holy of Holies, then it's pure white. So, purity. And that, and the, that makes sense. And by the way, I think a lot of you know and, and recognize and, and, and feel this, that that's a kind of a custom which still impacts us today where there are people who will dress in white on Yom Kippur because that, that just feels right. That's somehow the Yom Kippur clothing. But just realize it, 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 that is such an authentic Jewish practice it's such an authentic custom because it goes back to the Kohen Gadol, but we still have to understand it. Now, you could just tell me, no, it's about purity. But, but it's also interesting that when, he, when I talked about this Livarer, this Birur, and how we go about doing it, on Yom Kippur we take no prisoners and we just say, I want to be pure. It, it, it's like we're not playing games with all those other things and we're not justifying all the... I, I just want purity. It could be the rest of the year we can justify every single color and every single aspect and every single action and we can try to work them out together and it creates this beautiful mosaic and therefore I need to be all of these people and all of these actions and all of these friends and all of these behaviors but when it comes to Yom Kippur we just have this sense of, of white, pure, 
and it, and it, and then we enter, and then we can enter into the holy of holies. So I'm just going to say it again that the clothing over here really is interesting. And, and and again, is it revealing who we are, or is it hiding who we are, and what's going on? Now let's go a step further. The 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 other place that we have to get to is when Yaakov just just now thinking about that Yosef question was he making him the bechor? Is Yaakov acquiring the bechora from? The first, being the status of firstborn, acquiring it from Esav. Because when he requires it, what, at least according to Chazal, just now happened? What is the issue? Now, you can claim it's Eretz Yisrael, but there's something else. And that other thing is, who's going to be the Kohen? And that's part of the irony over here, is that Esav, who has no problem killing, hunting, spilling blood, getting his hands dirty is a little queasy when it comes to wanting to be a Kohen. That he rejects. That Yaakov, no, you can take that. Which means he's happy to kill when there's something pragmatic, this worldly, that he'll get from it. But when it has to do with something which is spiritual, then he gets queasy and he doesn't want it. And he's very happy to give this to Yaakov, which I'm going to say it again. According to Chazal, that is the undercurrent of what's taking place as that sale is executed, that Esav does not want to be a Kohen, and therefore selling the Bechorah, what's the implication of the Bechorah, of who's the firstborn? Well, the implication is, who is going to serve as the Kohen? Esav's not interested, Yaakov is interested, which means at that point we can march forward. The question is going to be going forward, what is Esav's orientation going to be to the to things which are holy? What's his orientation going to be towards the Beit HaMikdash? Is it going to be some kind of historical quirk that a descendant of Esav, namely Amalek, is going to come and try to attack us every time we want to come to the land of Israel? Is it just a historical quirk? And if you need me to spell that out, I will. Is it just a historical quirk that uh, the descendants of of Esav, who are considered to be Rome, go in and tr- destroy the second Beit HaMikdash, which means what is their orientation towards holiness? But all of this actually has to take us to a different place. And that is in source number four. And now, and now you're going to read this like you never read it before. When Yaakov is encouraged by his mother to go in and to get the blessing from his father, which, by the way, is actually, the rabbis say it. He's, he's, actually, he's bringing animals in. He's going to feed his father. He's going lefnaiv and lefnim. It's almost like he's acting like a Kohen because he thinks he's doing something which is holy over here because his mother told him to do it based on her prophecy. And he says, but, you know, my, my skin is very different from my brother. We don't, we, we, and my, I'm afraid he's going to touch me and he's going to curse me. So then she takes Esau's clothing I, I hope you recognize that there's something now going on. But read the words. So it's for because putting on the big day Esav is there. There is absolutely a betrayal taking place over here. Who's the betrayal between? It's actually between Yaakov and Yitzchak because he's misleading his father. So here, clothing is being used not to reveal who Yaakov really is. Although some of you are going to argue with me and say no. That Yaakov really is the Bechor. Yaakov bought the Bechorah. And now, he, and now that is his essence. That's who he is. And when he says, I am ace of your firstborn, he's not lying. I bought it. I acquired it. I am ace of your firstborn. And ace of is no longer your firstborn because that's what happened by that previous acquisition. But I'm now pointing out the clothing aspect is just a little bit more interesting. But Tilabesh Yaakov Benakatan. And she put this on him to take away the Busha. 
Right? Again, what did I just now do? I'm using these, this other level of understanding of what is beged and looking at that sense of begida and betrayal and looking at that other level of lavush and looking at lobusha. And this whole verse now becomes so much more interesting. And then he'll be able to bring the g'day ha'izim inside and... Uh, so, sorry, and then it says the orot of the, of the g'day izim. So, yeah, that's a little bit more interesting. I, I will also note that when the Kohen Gadol on Yom Kippur is going to function, one of the things that he needs to do is to make a distinction between two different goats. And the two goats are supposed to look as similar as possible to one another. And one of them is Kadosh, Lahashem, and the other one is Laazazel. Did we speak from the very beginning today about birurim and clarification and clearing and therefore taking you know your hand on the two goats and this is for God and this is Lazazel and I don't care if it bothers you Nava the Lazazel but this is this now you realize is part of it and the Mishnah stresses that the two goats need to look so much as much as possible like one another they need to be the same height and the same build and the same weight and the same color and this they need to look like one another essentially they need to be twins because the goats are very connected to the other two twins, and that's Yaakov and Esav. Which means what's taking place over here, Yaakov dresses up as Esav, and then he gets everything. So let's realize that there are also going to be times that Esav is going to dress up as Yaakov. I mean, essentially, all of Christianity is Esav dressing up as Yaakov. It's... uh, it's identity theft on historic proportions. They, they say, we are the new Israel. We are Israel. They think that they, we, meaning in Rome, Rome is the new Jerusalem. They are Israel and that we are pretenders. And unless, until you understand that, it's hard to understand what has happened in the last you know, couple of thousand years, is that, and, and now you think of the implications of this, uh, of this dressing up, but also re- remember one more thing that when they separate the two goats, how is it done? It's done by taking lots, as if it's up to chance. But it's not really up to chance, because God is determining which is which. Realize another thing, and I, and I, meant, I started to mention before Amalek. When the Jews are on their way to Israel, they leave Egypt on the way to Israel, Amalek comes and, attach, comes and attacks them. For Amalek, everything is by chance. Correct or not correct? Amalek, Amalek in Gematria is 240, which is the Gematria of Safek. It's doubt. When the Jews have doubts about the existence of God, which is right before Amalek shows up, where, you know, is God with us or not, that's when Amalek comes in. Amalek is all about Safek and is, and is all about doubt. And when we start to question, then it creates this ability for Amalek to come. But maybe I'll say this a little, a little differently. When the Seir Hashem and the Seir Azazel that's created, that's something which God allows to happen. And, and, and we're actually putting our trust in God. Which one is which? God determines. And then, and then we move 
forward. They're now, once we know all of this, I can now come back and identify something that I skipped over, which probably wasn't as clear. Why is it that the rabbis give Yosef such a hard time when Yosef is clearly Yosef at Sadiq? Right? This woman hits on him and hits on him and hits on him, and Yosef walks away and runs away and wants nothing to do with her. Why is it that some of the rabbis claim, oh, Yosef, he really wanted to sin with her? Where is that in the text? And now you'll understand when you read the text in source number six. What bothered them? The word beged. Why, what does the word beged mean? Betrayal. That there was some kind of betrayal that was taking place by Yosef being in the room. And by the way, I don't like this at all, because essentially what are you doing? You're blaming the victim, right? You're saying, oh, Yosef was wearing a skirt. He's wearing a skirt that was too short, so this is Yosef's fault. Yes? Yes. Yes. So how in the world do they blame him? Where does that come from? And now you realize it's the fact that the word, that she grabbed him, bivigdo. She grabbed him by his betrayal. So was Yosef betraying his beliefs? Was Yosef betraying his, his family, his tradition, and so on by being there with her? And I'm going to say it again. It is such a hard read when you read the text itself. Yosef keeps denying her and running away from her and wants nothing to do with her, but it's the word bivigdo. It's this word beged over there in the middle of the narrative, which I think gives license to the rabbis to say, oh, maybe there's a little bit... You know, there's something more, and it says, And you know there could have been other terms that were used. And Yosef is somebody who keeps having his clothing ripped off of him. That's also something which is really interesting. Because Yosef has his clothing ripped off of him when he loses Tonit Pasim, his coat of many colors. Yosef has his clothing ripped off of him over here by this woman. And Yosef then is ending up going to put on Egyptian clothing and no one's going to recognize him. So now what happens when he puts it on? Is he hiding who he really is or is he revealing who he really is? Which means what happens when Yosef wears that, that real royal clothing is that hiding his identity well some will claim that namely his brothers and others maybe his father will say ah I always said that Yosef was going to be royalty or Yosef was going to rise above all but I hope that you've noticed till now that there's been a there's a story which is being told and just in case you didn't understand the story enough now I think we have enough ability to to proceed and to so now I think we have enough of an ability to tell the story that we need to tell. Source number 10. Which sounds that has nothing to do with anything. And so on. So we have royalty. So of course he's going to wear royal clothing. Now, if you look at these words and you pay attention to them carefully, you'll notice that these words, most of them, are words that you should be familiar with, and they were all there in the beginning of Parsha Titzaveh, describing the clothing of the Kohen Gadol, which means when the Midrash over here is going to tell us, or let's look at the Gemara in source 12, he was wearing the clothing of the Kohen Gadol. Why? It says over here, which means it's the same words. Now, again, on one level, you can all tell me this shouldn't be a surprise. Why shouldn't it be a surprise? Because the 
clothing of the Kohen is clothing of royalty. So descriptions of royalty would be the same descriptions of the Kohen. And if you want, we can stop there. But if we stop there, then we'll miss what the message really is. Because Chazal understand that there's something else which is taking place. And yes, it's Adar, and it's almost Purim Katan, which is why we have to end up talking about the clothing of the Kohen. We have to end up talking, or the Kohen Gadol, we have to end up going to the Purim story as well. The, the rabbis go a little bit further and they say, Bishnat Shalosh Mocho, this is in source 11, in Esther Rabbah, the Midrash on Esther, Asam Mishter of Yehudu Rabin Chemim, Yehudu Amar Bishnat Shalosh Lemelechet Hakisei, Kevin Chagomar Melechet Hakisei, Asam Mishter, the Kol Sarav Adav, Rabin Chemim, Yomar Bishalosh, Bishnat Shalosh Lebitul Melechet Beit HaMikdash. It was the third year to the cessation of the building Beit HaMikdash. Now this is really interesting because the exact chronology of when the story of Purim takes place is not simple and is not necessarily understood. One of the opinions over here is the story takes place after Ezra and Nehemiah and Zerubbabel come back to Eretz Yisrael. They start to build the second Beit HaMikdash. By the way, a couple things happen. One, most of the Jews don't come home. Most of the Jews are comfortable in Persia, in Bavel, in all kinds of places, and don't come back. And God essentially says to them, okay, you're not coming home, I'm not coming home. Which means that you have some crazy Zionists who want to come back, and most people say, but why should I come back? I mean, look at all the good food they have on, what is it, Cedar Lane? Look at all the good food that we have in, right, in Teaneck, in Long Island, and Great Neck, we don't want to skip Great Neck, and uh, why in the world should we come back there? So God says, okay, you don't want to come, I don't want to come home. And this is saying, going to that opinion, is that the whole story of Purim takes place between the initial plans to start building the Beit HaMikdash and the actual building the Beit HaMikdash. Part of what this Midrash really wants you to understand is if you don't pay attention to the Kohen, to the Kohen Gadol, to the Beit HaMikdash, you kind of miss the story of Purim. Because that is a part of the story, which therefore, it's really interesting, this juxtaposition of Parshat Titzaveh, and, and how things come out and how they work out, is it, there's lots and lots of flexibility of Parshat Titzaveh with the Kohen Gadol and with the subtext of the, of the Megillah. Source number 14 is Lukute Halachot. This is Rabbi Natan. Rabbi Natan was the main teacher, a Rabbi Nachum from, of Breslov, of his teachings. So, listen to what he writes. The Purim and Yom Kippur are connected. So maybe I'll get to that. I don't know yet. That the Kohen Gadol is supposed to go inside the inner sanctum wearing white, complete purity, getting rid of all evil, all sin. And, but he, he goes in after the Goral, after dis- determining one Lahashem and one Lahazazel, the two different goats. And you do this by doing. A, how do you say, goral? A, a, a lottery. So he says, that's why Haman did a lottery, because he's trying to take away the lottery, which means this concept 
of in the back of the Purim story. Again, now you had this other thing to work with, Purim and Yom Kippur, or Yom Kippurim, a day like Purim, and now saying, hold it, there's also this idea of celebrating not building the Beit HaMikdash. Where, where, did I get to the wearing of the clothing of the Kohen Gadol? If not, I'll get to that in a, in a clearer sense in a second. We see now that he's taking the Avodah of the Kohen, and Haman is trying to utilize this in order, to, as it was, to commemorate that the Jews are never going back. This is never happening. Ki Haman that the way the Jews get forgiveness is by doing this lottery of the two goats. Because where do all sins come from? Sins come from the confusion of good and evil. It comes from the stain that the Nachash put. And that's how death came to the world. But what really should be happening is that we have choice because there's good and evil. Which means if there was no evil, we would have choice. And ultimately, choice is good. But there's something gets very messed up already from the Nachash moving forward. Now, the question is, how far we go with all of this? The safe... That whole thing is also from Lukute uh, Halachot from uh, in another place by Rabbi Natan. In Source 16, the Sefer Halikutim, this is from the Arizal. This is talking about that moment when Yaakov goes in. Yaakov goes into the Holy of Holies. What are the Holy of Holies? Yitzchak. Yaakov goes in, and he's dressed. But how's he's dressed? He's dressed like Esau. And what does Yaak- What does Yitzchak say? He says, ah, the smell was like the smell of the field. Now, why, when Yaakov goes in, is the smell or the sense of smell something which is significant? Kvar Yadata, he says, you already know, ki adam harishon nivra beganeden. By the way, that's not necessarily the case, so I'm not going to argue with the Arizal. Hanikra sadeh shil tapuchin. In the Zohar, the Ganadin is, is referred to as as Sadesh Tapuchin. By the way, the only thing I don't know in that sentence is what is a Tapuach. A tapuach doesn't necessarily mean apple. It most likely in the Zohar's language means a fruit tree or, or, or a tree of fruits. Just like Ganadin is this tree, is this place that the fruits are growing, but you know that some of the fruits are dangerous. And you know that later on, when the angel came in and wrestled, now we, we just now jump from Yaakov, Adam to Yaakov. Why, why by Yaakov? Because Yaakov went, went in to see Yitzchak. But when the angel wrestles with him, Yaakov, I, I know this is a little Kabbalistic, maybe very Kabbalistic, but stay with me. And... He, yeah, yeah, and he hurt this thing called Netzach. What, what was hurt by Yaakov? His inner thigh. What does the inner thigh represent? It represents the Brit Milah. So therefore, if Yaakov can't have children, I know he already has children, then there's no Netzach, there's no continuity, there's no continuation, and that's essentially what he's trying to say here. So if there's no more Jews, the world's going to disappear. And I'm going to skip all of this 
till he finally says, Who is going to fix this? Somebody specifically from Binyamin. By the way, Binyamin's not born yet, which is very important. Because Binyamin wasn't born yet. So, before I lose you on everything that I just now said, we're going to go backwards a little bit. One of the things that Haman does, and Haman is from Amalek, and Haman is, you know, this part, Esav, and, and Haman is this evil individual. And, and by the way, Haman is also connected to the tree. Yes? He wants to kill Mordechai on the tree, and he ends up being killed on the tree. So don't ignore the tree. Matter of fact, the Gemara asks, how do we ever know to be a guy, a guy like Esav? I have it a little low, later down, over, low down here. It says, Hamin Ha'etz. Well, that's what God said. Did you eat from this tree? Hamin ha'etz. Hamin ha'etz. Esav is connected to tree. Esav, just like the Nachash wanted to kill Adam and Eve, Haman wants to kill everybody, but the Eitzadat Tovarah, he wants to bring death into the world. The Nachash wants to bring death into the world. Haman wants to bring death into the world. We're dealing with a similar kind of phenomenon. Now, now, what does Haman insist that everybody does? He insists that everybody bows down to him. Right? Haman coming from Esav, Amalek, Esav wants, wants everyone, especially the Jews, to bow down to him. When it comes to the Jews, Haman, this is not a real conversation. Haman says, you have to bow down to me. Why? Because your people have been bowing down to my people for a long time. Because when Yaakov came back to Eretz Yisrael, he and all of his children all bowed down to Esav, which then gives Esav subservience. This is the night after Yaakov wrestles with his angel and he hurts his leg. So therefore, this goes back to this point of continuity. And will we continue? And will Esav be stronger than us? Which means everything that happened before, right, before this, is Yaakov getting the brachot by dressing up like Esav. Right? Now you realize something which is really interesting. Christianity, Rome, has been dressing up like the Jews for the last 2,000 years. Although not with holiness, because they, they don't put on tzitzit and they don't put on... Meaning, it's this veneer and they're trying to make believe there's somebody that they're not and that goes back to this to this identity theft when Yaakov was going in and saying I am ace of your firstborn I am worthy to be the Cohen and he doesn't want this he sold this to me all, all this is revealing something I'll say another thing if any of you think that the custom of dressing up on Purim has nothing to do with this story, it means you haven't been paying attention. You kind of lost the, the narrative. This is Dressing up has everything to do with Purim because now you realize how much this is a part of the story. But what are we up to? Well, after Yaakov is, comes back to the land of Israel, same thing. When the Jewish people are about to come back, Amalek is there to stop them. When it's time to come back to build the second Beit HaMikdash, Haman is there to stop them. When it's time for Yaakov to come back to Eretz Yisrael, Esav is there to stop them. Whenever we want to come back to Israel, we have this, we have this power that wants to stop us from coming, and if you want, you can throw a holocaust into that as well. When it's time to come back, forces come to try to stop us from coming, and right over here, we then have that all the Jews bow down to Haman, all the Jews are subservient, except for one. Who is the one who doesn't bow down? Mordechai. Why doesn't Mordechai bow down? Because he is Ish Yemini. 
What does Ish Yemini mean? He's from Binyamin. What does Binyamin have to do with anything? Because Binyamin was the one son of Yaakov that didn't bow down. And why didn't Binyamin bow down? Because he wasn't born yet. Which means that even if Esau has this power over Yaakov, they're going to be subservient to him. It's Yaakov except for one part of Yaakov. And what's the one part of Yaakov which therefore will represent Netzach? That's really what the Ariza was getting to. What is that one part of Yaakov? And that is Binyamin. But by the way, the, there's this crazy Midrash, which maybe I'll show you, but it says that Yaakov's right leg was hurt, but on Esav's right leg, he had a tattoo. He had a tattoo of a nachash, right? Why does he have... Well, again, you could have thought if Esav's already going to have a tattoo, he was going to write mom. No, he doesn't have a great relation with his mother, right? So what does he put on his tattoo? He puts on a nachash, because he connects to that to this concept of death. Ish Yehudi ayam b'shushan abira, Shema Mordechai ben Yeir ben Shem'i, ben Kish Ish Yemini. Now, could we get a little bit deeper than I said it before? He's actually described in two ways. Ish Yehudi hayam b'shushan abira, and Ish Yemini. So which one is it? Is he Ish Yehudi, Ish Yemini? Now, all of you are not bothered by this question until I pointed it out, because you would say, no, he means he's a Jewish guy. But that's not what Ish Yehudi means, and not at this point probably in history either. Yehudi means somebody from Yehuda. Yemini means somebody from Binyamin. So the Gemara asks, which is it? Is he from Yehuda or is he from Binyamin? And then it suggests all kinds of possibilities. Maybe geographically he's from Yehuda, but in tribal affiliation he's from Binyamin. Maybe his father's from Binyamin, his mother's from Yehuda, his mother's from, And it goes to all these different possibilities. But I want to get to a different point, and, and this now will start to get a little bit stronger. When Yosef's clothing was ripped off the first time, why was it ripped off? It ripped off because there was tension in the family. It was ripped off because the children of Leah and the children of Rachel could not get along together. And if, right, how could it be that a child of Rachel, he's going to be the one in charge? And therefore, all the other ones, they rip off the clothing and they want to kill him. So Yosef's clothing is ripped off at that point because of the children of Leah. Now, at some point in Bereshit, there was a tikkun. What was the tikkun? How does, it get, how does this get fixed? When Yehuda goes on a line and says that I will take Binyamin's place and I will be a slave instead of Binyamin, let him go back to his father, that is a tikkun and that brings about the unity between the children of Rachel and the children of Leah. Where exactly did the Beit HaMikdash stand? It stood at that point of, geographically of the connection between Yehuda and Binyamin. That's exactly where the Beit HaMikdash was. So now, when you read this, what is Ish Yehudi? I'm going to read this all over again. Ish Yehudi Can we pause a second? What is really the Bira? What is really the capital? As far as we're concerned, what is the, what is the eternal and undivided capital of the Jewish people is Yerushalayim, which means the whole subtext of Megillah Esther is Yerushalayim. And that's why we learned before, oh, they were already starting to build the Beit HaMikdash, and it gets stopped. That combination, Yehudi and Yemini, that's Yerushalayim. Asher Haglami Yerushalayim. 
It's not my imagination that Yerushalayim is staring at us here in the background. And he was among those who went off into exile. The Gemara in Source 18 goes through this whole discussion. Karila Yehudi, Karila Yemini, Karila Yehudi, and it goes through. So who is he? So again, you know all of this. Moshe, Source 19. Haman Minatar Minayin Hamin Ha'etz. Going back to Bereshit, Perigimel, going back to that tree of knowledge of good and evil, and going back to the serpent, and so on. Mordechai Minatar Minayin Mar Dror. Mar Dror. Umitaragminon Meredchia. So this, is, this almost sounds comical. Shmot Perik Lamid. Shmot Perik Lamid. That's the beginning of next week's parsha. Mordechai is hinted at because it says Mar Dror. Anybody know what? It's not Mar. I have to take that. It's more. It's more Dror. You know what it is? Well, in Aramaic, you know, it's Mordechai, which almost sounds like Mordechai, which almost sounds like you had to drink a little bit on Purim to get there. Yeah? More Dror is actually incense. Bisamim Rosh, more Dror. More, it's actually in English. They also have. Uh, how do they spell this in English? Is it M-O-R or M-U? I forgot how you spell it. But there, there is an, an, an incense which is called mor. Mor drawer is, is incense. So, what? Yes, 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 yes. So, mor drawer is very interesting. By the way, mar, mem, and resh, what does that equal in gematria? You all know gematria already? 240. What's 240? Amalek. What's, what does drawer mean? Freedom. More drawer is that the drawer is freedom. It's on the liberty bell. Freedom will ring it throughout the land. More drawer, which is the incense, is actually freedom from a mullet. And I hope some of this is beginning to make a little bit of sense. And I will hopefully explain this a lot more. We're skipping so many things. Okay, good. When the Kohen Gadol, can we get back to the point now? When the Kohen Gadol went into the Holy of Holies, what did he go in with? What did he do there? Answer, when he would go in, he would carry with him coals on a, on a, like a tray in one hand and carry incense in the other hand. The question is, when did he add the incense to the coals in order to have the whole smoke come out? Did he do it outside? Did he do it inside? That was part of the argument between the Tztukim and the Purushim. But either way, he needs to do it inside that needs to make the whole area fill up with the incense. What the Kohen Gadol did in the Holy of Holies was incense. Exactly. Perfect. That's exactly the problem or the question. Okay, give me a second. If, if I would have asked you, okay, so what does the Kohen Gadol do, right? I told you, he's mainly about Yom Kippur. So what does he do on the outside? He does the poor, he does the goral, he does the Sir Lashem, and the Sir Lazazel. The two twins need clarification. One is going to be holy, and the other is not, right? And that, that's the clarification that takes place. He goes inside, and he takes the incense. Now ask, why? Meaning, what, what, what does the incense have to do with anything? Why incense? Good? Good. So... Let's try it like this. First of all, incense is really interesting. And there's two reasons for it. One reason that it's interesting is how do you make it? Generally, 
and, and I'm talking now historically. Today, everything is uh, is manufactured in uh, chemical ways, but it's not making real incense. The way that you would make incense using like real things, you would take something which was a very strong smell, and that would be the delivering agent. That's like the engine. And then you would take something which was very sweet and cover up the bad smell. Because bad smells have a great deal of power to them, but you don't like bad smells. So essentially, the way that you would make incense was covering up the bad smell. Look at source number 31. If there's going to be a fast days and sinners don't fast, it's not a fast day. We don't need a bunch of tzaddikim fasting. It does nothing for the world to have tzaddikim fasting. Yes? Why does it do nothing to have tzaddikim fasting? Because they're already tzaddikim. They don't get moved. Nothing changes. You need some sinners to fast. That makes a difference. So, okay, how do you know this? Shaharei chelbana. Chelbana is one of the ingredients in the incense which is used on Yom Kippur. The chelbana, read, Shaharei chelbana rechara. It smelt really bad. Umana katuv ben samonea katoret. And that was one of the things used in the incense. So can, can you think about this for a second? Because this is just so good. The, the metaphor over here, and, and now I'm answering your question, why incense? What does incense do? Remember I talked before about there are different ways of clarifying. One way is get rid of all the bad, and the other, right, wearing complete white, getting rid of bad. So the coin god, it was interesting, because all year long he's having all these colors. By the way, if you want to understand the whole Avodah of, the Yom, of Yom Kippurim, that when he, every time he goes in the inside, he has to put on white. Every time he comes outside, then he changes his other clothing. And every time he does this, he goes to mikvah in between the two of them. And, and that's also interesting. He, he, needs, he needs to go to the mikvah before he can put on the white clothing, but he needs to go to the mikvah before he can put on the other clothing, because both of the clothings represent somehow serving God. Now, you don't, you did didn't get yet what I'm trying to say, correct? Correct? Say correct. Yes, you didn't get yet the point. Why is this so interesting? Because when the Kohen Gadol puts on all the white and he goes into the inner, into the Kodush HaKadoshim, what is he carrying with him? He's carrying with him all the hopes and all the dreams and all the prayers of all the Jews. But lots and lots of Jews do lots and lots of bad things. Yes? Yes. We mess up. That's what we do. We mess up. We make mistakes. We use poor judgment. We get confused between Tov and Ra. And it would be great if we would have really clear clarification to understand what is Tov and what is Ra, but we don't always seem to have the ability of doing that. So what does the Kohen Gadol do? He himself, to be our representative, he needs to put on pure white. Complete purity. Complete clarity. There's no, there's no confusion here. There's no coat of many colors now. But what else does he need to do? He takes in the Ketoret. Now can we again ask the question, what is special about the Ketoret? The Ketoret is an act of taking something which has a really bad smell, which I would say is sin, and covering it up with good smells, and now the sum total is something which is a really good smell. Which means this is an unbelievable act of tshuva. Let me take all the bad things I've done, let me refocus, let me reanalyze, let me think about how I could use that same capabilities, those same powers, that same energy, and use it all in a positive way. That's what the Torah is. The Torah is using something which by itself is bad, but now I put it together in something which is a larger good. It suddenly becomes something which is good. And that's what it's saying. A fast day that only has good people, that doesn't count. That the power of real tshuva is to take the negative as well and use negative things in a positive way because that changes the world. 
Good remaining good doesn't change the world. Good remaining good doesn't make anything different. But taking something which is negative and then turning it into something which is positive, that's clarification in a whole different way. Again, two levels of clarification. One level of clarification, this is good, this is bad, let's separate them. And the other is, this is good, this is bad, let's bring them together and let's create good as the sum total. And I know this is dangerous because it's very easy to take the good and the bad and then the sum total becomes a lot more bad. And now you've corrupted the good as well. And the question is the other way around. How do you create a ketoret? And part of the answer is you need a kohen gadol. How do you do this? He needs to dress in white. As you do this, he needs clarity beforehand, Zel Hashem and Zel Azazel, and, and everything being completely clear, and at that point he can go inside into the Holy of Holies. And now, if you start to realize all of this is the backdrop, because it just now said, but who is Mordechai? Mordechai is where there's no evil. Why? Mordechai never bowed down. Why does Mordechai never bow down? Because he is from Binyamin. He is really this place. Where, where, where is he really from? He is from Binyamin and Yehuda. He is from this place exactly where they meet, is where the Holy of Holies is. Which means he is the Holy of Holies, and that's some place that has to be pure. Mordechai never bows down. That means all the other Jews can make mistakes, and Mordechai can say, okay, we, we made mistakes, and now let's all pick it up. We can do something else. By the way, there's another person who is just like Mordechai. And who is that? And that's Esther. Because if Esther is Mordechai's family, she's also from Yehuda and from Binyamin. She's from the same place. What is her real name? Hadassah. What is a hadass? Something, something which, it's, it's something which smells good. Which means hadass or hadassah is really this good smell. Which means that what she really is is also this place of complete purity. And if you understand this, we can understand the next... You're going to hear, and you already heard it, you're going to hear lots and lots of people say, oh, Purim and Yom Kippur, they're kind of connected. Yom Kippurim and so on. And I can give a share just on this concept and give you 20 different explanations on how they go together. But there's only one true explanation. Yes, why, do I, why am I so arrogant to say this is the true explanation? Because this is the original source. If you look at source 32, it's in the Tikkun Zohar. But listen to the context and how it presents it. The Yom Kippurim, and this is Yom Kippur. The Kad Ishkatat Kamei Belavushin Shapirin, and the Kohen on Yom Kippur, the Kohen Gadol puts on beautiful clothing, Levushin Shapirin, beautiful clothing. What makes the clothing beautiful? The Inon Levushe Kapara. Because they're clothings of atonement. What makes something beautiful that we get atoned? It creates tzitz delay, matznefet delay, avnet delay, yamina, the clothing of which is white, which comes from the right side, and the arba big day zahav misitra de smola, and the clothing of gold, which is on the left side. But who zimna de itkashat be ilain lavushi de kapara? At that moment, when the Kohen Gadol puts on all of this clothing of atonement, itmarba, what verse applies to him? And it quotes a verse from Esther. The tilbosh Esther malchut. And Esther put on royal clothing. Remember from the very beginning that we had this question? Is the Kohen wearing royal clothing? Was Yosef meant to be royalty? Was Yosef meant to be meant to be a Kohen, what was... So it says, no, when Esther puts on royal clothing, what is Esther really? At that point, she's like the Kohen. Uvahon, and once she puts on this clothing, she goes into the inner sanctum. Now, any of you who want to be cynical, 
That's great. You can say Esther dressed up really nice and she put on makeup and she put on perfume and she put on whatever she put on and then she went in and she tried to hook up with Ahasuerosh. That's great. But what, is, what did the Zohar just now say? No. She walked into that room and, and, and this is something which is so important. Forget about historical, historical truth. Forget about what happened that day. I want to talk about emotional truth. I want to talk about religious truth, spiritual truth. When she walked in, why did she walk in? She walked in because she wanted to save the entire Jewish people. So when she walked in, what was her religious truth at that moment? She was the Kohen Gadol when she walked in. When she walked in, just like the Kohen Gadol walks in, and who is she for real? She's Hadassah. Hadassah is a beautiful smell. Who is she? She's the Torah. So now when saying that when the, it's the other way around. When the Zohar is saying, oh, you know what the Kohen Gadol is like when he goes in? He's like Esther, meaning Esther is the prototype of somebody who goes in to save the entire people. She's standing by the king's inner sanctum. And that's why she, when she found favor, we say she found favor in God, in the king's eyes, pointing up to heaven. And this is the secret behind what's really going on right then, is she's praying, meaning she's interacting with Ahasuerus, which she's praying to God at that moment, because Esther is the Kohen Gadol. And then what does it say? Purim it's create al shame Yom HaKippurim. And that's why that Purim is called its way because of Yom HaKippurim. Why? And I'll say it again, because Esther is the Kohen Gadol, because Esther is the one who saves the entire people, because Esther is from Binyamin, and she is from Yehuda, because Esther is completely pure. And now this whole story hopefully makes a little bit more sense. I want to say two more things about this, and then I'm going to stop for today. One, one is that this is why in Purim, what, what, what's the whole point? Where does this all begin? It all began with Eitzadat Tovara. On Purim we drink Adeloyada bin Tovara, which means Purim comes back to this going beyond even the knowledge of good and evil. It's beyond good and evil. It goes back to this very core place. One last thing. On Purim you're supposed to drink until you get to the point that you don't know between, right? So I, I just want to put this in the language of I, 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 too much over here. So, but I want to get to one particular thing, and that is the following: that what happened. This is in the Maharal, which is in source number fifty. He talks about the power of Haman. What did Haman do? Haman collected all the money. What happened with all the money that Haman collected? It all went to Mordechai. What did Mordechai do with all the money that he collected? And this is the very end over here of source number 50. He says that he collects the money and then it goes over. And then what did Mordechai do with it? Mordechai used it to go and to continue the building of the Beit HaMikdash. Which means, where did the money come from to build? And again, they stopped. That's the beginning of the story. They stopped the building of the Beit HaMikdash and that's what they celebrated. So how were they able to... to finance the continuation and the building of the Beit HaMikdash, Haman paid for it. Which means when you realize this, now you have to then ask yourself, so do we curse Haman or do we bless Haman? If you want to look at this element that you can have a l'chaim for Haman and say that Haman should be blessed, you realize that Haman, because evil, crazy people have lots and lots of energy. Evil, crazy people accomplish a lot. What did Haman accomplish? He gathered all the money, 
What did God accomplish separating between good and evil? He wanted his money, he wanted genocide, he wanted to kill people, but what does God do? God takes it from him, hands it over to Mordechai, Mordechai sends it over to Yerushalayim, and you can put a little plaque. This Beit HaMikdash was sponsored by the works of Haman. So, Baruch Haman, Adlo Yada, Baruch Haman, the whole story of the clothing of the Kohen Gadol, don't ask me how we did it, but we went back to the beginning. Somehow we ended up in Persia. Somehow we ended up with, uh, with the story of Purim. Because when it really comes down to this, all of these are different chapters of the same story.